Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Path. <laughs> hey everybody, it's Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast and Blog. Hope you're doing well. Thanks as always for listening. Here we go again. We're back around to Wednesday, so you know what that means. Hump Day Blogorama. What is Froth talking about? Well, it's a weekly show where I talk about a bunch of different cool things that I spotted on RPG blogs over the week. And I'm following, I'm always adding blogs. I'm following hundreds of blogs and um, trying to check out everything I can. If something catches my eye that I think would be interesting to share, I set it aside, keep hoarding this stuff in my in a folder in my email over the week. Then I sort it out, talk about it here on the podcast, and then put up all the links that I discuss over at the Thought Eater blog. Um, my show notes and everything should have links to that, but if you can't find it, you can Google Thought Eater blog or go to frothsoft, frothsoftdnd.blogspot.com, and it'll have all the links that I discuss over there. So, anyway, uh, I'm exhausted this week. just seems like it's dragging by. I don't know about how y'all's is. Maybe it's because we just had a holiday here in the States, and anytime you have some good time off and good times... When you go back to work, it's just a crash. So that's kind of what I'm going through, but uh, we're going to fight through it. I got a bunch of good stuff this week. Uh, you know, it seemed like maybe the holiday slowed some bloggers down a little bit. It didn't seem like there was as much content coming out, but there's a lot of good content. So I'm excited to share that with y'all. And here we go. So I usually like to start off by talking about RPG maps. I, uh, I'm a map junkie. I'm religiously saving these things, filtering them away for a rainy day or a rainy campaign day. Uh, I try to divide my stuff by whether it's keyed or not, by uh, whether I can use it as a battle map or it's more for just flavor, um, genre of game. You know, it's it's uh, only God only knows how many maps that I've got saved. But um, I'm starting over at altomocarmisi.blogspot.com. This is a Nico Maniche's blog. I've mentioned in Nico's work before, I back their Patreon, and they're collaborating on um, a, a new 5e product, uh, the Milano, Milanosphera Magazine, which uh, intends to be a quarterly supplement for 5e, and they're doing some of the maps on it, so they've got these world maps that are really nice looking, the Zersanic Northwest area. Don't ask me, I, you know, it's going to be part of this Milanosphera um, setting. So, But the maps are great. They've got that awesome uh, Aniko style. Uh, I go over and check it out. And uh, in addition to the one that I posted, that's kind of a zoom, you know, zoomed in piece on one of the, um, the larger maps. So there's several of these there. Really good work. Um, so I thought I'd feature that. Great job, Aniko. Keep, keep up the awesome mapping. And uh, then, of course, Dyson Logos. Everybody's familiar with Dyson. If you're following along the OSR, really just 5e at this point. Uh, one of the um, contributors to a lot of the uh, recent 5e adventures. And so over at DysonLogos.blog, you can check out the Half Cast Tavern. You know, Dyson's probably most famed for, um, for the um, kind of uh, dungeon or um, tower maps, these kind of things. But... Uh, You'll see uh, things like islands that I've featured recently, and then also buildings and stuff that uh, that are very usable. 
and uh, Dyson's got the half cask tavern here. So if you need a good tavern map, it's got gridded and non-gridded versions. Just a nice good standard looking um, tavern map that you can have in your backpack, whatever, and uh, have ready to use. Should your players get thirsty, as they're prone to do. And then I thought I'd put a review here. Um, Pookie UK over at Reviews from Rolier. Rolierreviews.blogspot.com. Again, all these links are over at the Thought of Your Blog. They did a review of a really interesting sounding project. The Big Book of Sci-Fi Battle Maps. Um, 60 pages of battle maps for, for RPGs. What's cool about this is that it's spiral bound, so it's it's made to open and lay flat so you can actually play on the book, you know? And I thought that was a really cool idea. That sounds awesome. They give it a really nice review. Um, so um, if you're running a sci-fi game, whatever, Star Wars, White Star, Starfinder, uh, Stars Without Number, Traveler, any number of games, um, and you want, you want some, um, some good maps... This sounds like it'd be something really useful, you know, easy to carry to a table. You don't have to deal with, uh, you know, drawing on a, um, a dry erase um, mat or dealing with uh, tiles or any of that kind of stuff. You just have a handy-dandy book that you can open and uh, lay flat on the table there. So that sounds cool. I might uh, be checking this one out. So good stuff. So the Ennies... The any nominees were announced this week, uh, the annual Tabletop RPG Awards, and uh, there was a lot of notable stuff on there. You know, I enjoy looking at the uh, the Ennies list. Um, it's nothing like the Rammies from Say versus Total Party Kill. You know, the Rammies are really the only RPG award that truly has ever mattered. But but the Ennies are nice too. <laughs> um, Anyway, you see some stuff like from Cave Girl, the Stygian Library is is up there for a Judge's Spotlight Award. Um, you've got Mask of Nihilothotep, you know the 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 latest you know edition of that, up for Best Adventure. You got some Mothership stuff up there. Uh, Winner's Daughter from Gavin Norman, um, who comes up again later in the uh, the program. Um, actually, actually every adventure looks good um, to me. Uh, one of the toughest, I thought, categories was the best art interior. You've got Invisible Sun from Monty Cook Games. Now, I don't own that game. It's too steep for my blood, but it sounded like a really interesting game, especially the kind of guide, you know, this is like a massive box set deal where um, there was actually kind of like a guided campaign where they'd be, Monty Cook's game company would be sending you, you know, clues and stuff and, you know, it was a kind of like different way to game. And one of the ways that they kind of marketed Invisible Sun was it was not just a table game, but it was also going to have kind of things that you could be doing in between sessions and stuff. That always kind of sounded intriguing to me. But the artwork that I've seen, unbelievable. Cult, the new Cult, Divinity Lost, you know, uh, Powered by the Apocalypse Cult uh, book. Unbelievable. I mean, unholy, literally art. <laughs> and uh, so that's up for best art interior. Then you've got Legacy Life Among the Ruins that I talked about just a couple weeks ago. I mean, they've got an art book of that stuff. It's so sick. Uh, sick. Uh, the new RuneQuest um, artwork looks incredible. And then uh, the Symborum um, the or Symbarum uh, Monster Codex. I've got the Symbarum or Symborum. Don't ask me. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. Probably pronouncing it wrong because I haven't played it. I've got the, I bought the core book used 
artwork's unbelievable. So, I mean, who knows is going to win the best art interior because uh, every single um, every single thing, Invisible Sun, Cult, Legacy, RuneQuest, Symbarum, every single one of those uh, products has just world-class art. So I wouldn't want to be the judge on that one. I don't know who I'd vote for. <sighs> I am going to vote on these. What would I pick? I'm going to give you my froth pick. Do I go with the perverse sacrilege of cult just on principle? Mm. You know, I think I'm leaning between legacy and cult. I think I'll go cult. I bet you've got uh, folks I've mentioned here all the time. Glenn Seal from Monkey Blood Design up for best cartography. Uh, you see Silent Titans that was gotten mentioned here up there. Lots of good OSR stuff and otherwise up for, up for, um, for awards. Kids on Bikes is up for best family game. Uh, let's see, um, ultraviolet grasslands is up here. Um, you know, and I don't mean to, by not mentioning something, I hope I don't seem like I don't, I don't think it's good. I mean, just about, I, I think they've got a lot of good nominees here, um, this year for a lot of this. As far as best blogs, since this is a blog show, um, I know that, um, uh, Ben Milton, you know, of, uh, of Nave and, and, uh, Questing Beast fame has got, where is the list? Blah, blah, where? Best online content. Is that where it's got it listed? Yeah. The Questing Beast podcast, you know, where Ben does the reviews that's nominated the Alexandrian blog. I mention all the times it's up there. Uh, Cannibal Halfling Gaming. Lordy. Cannibal Halfling Gaming's on there for best online content. And then for product of the year, uh, the big ones, Forbidden Lands, Massive Nihilothotep Prop Set, Mothership, Silent Titans, Invisible Sun. Uh, a few that I'm not familiar with, um, Dialect, Companion's Tale, Dinosaur Princesses, some things that I just don't know about. But that's another cool thing about looking at some of these uh, um, lists. You can, you can find out stuff that you're unaware of. I see Warhammer fan, the new Warhammer's up for some stuff. Troika. Um, anyway, I've got a list of all the nominees. Uh, if you're interested in looking at that, and then keep your eyes out for the voting and check that out. So I'm pretty pleased with the list of uh, nominees this year. The state of uh, the RPG industry looks really strong when you look at all this stuff. So a couple of interviews caught my eye this week. There's one site that does a lot of interviews over at the hard-boiled GM Shoes office, gmshoe.wordpress.com, and they did an interview, a Q&A with William McCausland, who does an excellent mutant epic game, and that came up on my podcast recently, talking about games that I own, that are, that was my number one game that I own, but uh, haven't yet played. Um, it's just hard for me sometimes, you know, i got to be the one to run it. If anyone's running a mutant epic game or one shot, I'll give me a pre-gen. I'll jump right in. But um, William's writing, creativity, artwork, everything's outstanding. And I know they're working on a new uh, supplement for mutant epic. So if you're interested in reading a, a little interview with Mr. McCausland, you go over to gmshoe.wordpress.com. And then I followed a link that took me to an in-world forum post. Uh, but I thought this would be interesting to y'all. Uh, Gavin Norman of Necrotic Gnome getting interviewed about the old school essentials uh, set that had a wildly successful Kickstarter, as well as a 5e version of their setting, Dolmenwood. 
So I thought this would be interesting for y'all to check out. It's kind of, it's, it's not, su you know, it's kind of paraphrased. It's not exactly in Gavin's own words, but it gives you some idea of what they're, what they're uh, working on. And uh, I know a lot of folks um, are into that BX flavor and love that old school essentials. So you can see what they're talking about with that. And then also crossing over into fifth edition few retrospective things to talk about today and the first one is not directly gaming related but I know for a certain generation of gamers um, this will mean something they announced that uh, Mad Magazine is shutting down going to end publication and uh, man did I ever used to love Mad Magazine god I had stacks of the things and uh Still have really strong memories of several of the spoofs. The Poseidon Adventure. Um, the Dukes of Hazard uh, The Dukes of Hazard one. Um, you know, Al Jaffe and Sergio Argones and all these awesome artists. You know, the um, the classic fold-ins at the back. And, and I loved them. And you know what's funny is I, I learned a lot of pop culture and about things from those magazines. You know, it would be... I'd know a little something about shows and movies and stuff that I never, you know, never seen. Like Amityville Horror, I didn't see that until I was, you know, a lot older. And uh, but I, uh, you know, I'd, I'd have a somewhat of a grasp on the plot of some things and even people's names. And I remember one time we were down at the beach as a family years and years and years ago. I must have been, you know, seven or eight, and. Um, it was shortly after Trivial Pursuit had come out. And so everybody, you know, that was like a, a big popular game um, for adults to play or whatever when that first came out. And uh, I, I was playing along with the, you know, the, the parents or whatever. And uh, it had a question about the love boat. And uh, I, I knew, you know, it was who was the captain of the love boat. And uh, I knew that from... From Mad Magazine, you know, it was Captain Stubing, but in Mad Magazine, they made him Captain Stupid. And so I kind of, you know, knew a little bit, a bit about things. It's just a memory that stands out, you know. <laughs> you might not think you can learn from Mad Magazine, but you actually kind of could get a little, <laughs> a little bit of knowledge. <laughs> a little warped knowledge, I guess. Um, but it looks like they're going to kind of do special editions and reprints and some things like that. And just... Uh, but, you know, there's no real magazine that can survive now, you know. Um, the only magazines that are, you know, out really are, you know, have local things or, or big glossy magazines that just completely rely on tons and tons of advertising. You know, the only other little magazines that, that are surviving and flourishing is OSR zines, you know, or RPG zines. But anyway, I uh, put up an article from Polygon.com about uh, the death of Mad Magazine. It's got a few tweets that some people put out. And uh, I'll take you down memory lane there if you were like me and enjoyed Mad Magazine. So rest in peace, Alfred E. Newman. Then over at MonsterMagazineWorld.blogspot.com. This is a uh, not really an RPG-related blog that I follow. Uh, classic monsters and stuff like that. Schlock and... Good stuff. Uh, some of the stuff that I loved growing up and still do. They had a, a post that uh, does tie into gaming, though. Uh, Fritz Leiber makes a case for monsters. And this is a, an article, uh, an essay, kind of a guest editorial from um, 
let's see, the 1965 March issue of Fantastic. And it, so it's Fritz Leiber talking about monsters. He talks a little bit about Lovecraft, Edgar Allan Poe, and monsters in literature and popular culture. So I know there's some Lankmar fans and stuff out there, fans of uh, Leiber's writing that would want to check this out. It's high-quality scan, so you can you read through this. It's several pages, kind of a monster philosophy and, and, and stuff like that from Fritz Leiber. I thought it was pretty cool. And then uh, finally over at OldSchoolRoleplaying.com, they do a, a lot of little retrospective sorts of things, and I've mentioned a couple in the past. And um, Anyway, uh, this one was the Rakshasa and Dungeons and Dragons. So the, the Rakshasa creature uh, inspired uh, from Hindu mythology um, and, and how it's changed and a little bit about it throughout all the different editions of Dungeons and Dragons. So I thought that was a cool post and a cool retrospective post that you might enjoy as well. A few reviews to pop uh, pop through. Uh, Justin Ryan Isaac blogs has the Halls of the Nephilim blog. It's punverse.blogspot.com. We're talking about this um, adventure for Dungeon Crawl Classics, The Ghoul Prince by Zarkov Kowalski. Um, Kowalski, who probably most known for um, uh, their adventures for Lamentations of the Flame Princess. And this looks like a good one. It says it's a creative experiment, a nice homage to 80s horror. Uh, sounds cool to me. The Ghoul Prince by Zarkov Kowalski. And uh, Justin Ray Ryan Isaac and the Punverse blog come up again here shortly. Doing great work over there. Also, there's a review over at Red Dice Diaries. John Allen Large, uh, fellow legendary anchorite, blogs over there. And uh, also does some YouTube videos and put up a review of the Gardens of Yen from Cave Girl, a.k.a. Emmy Allen. And uh, this is one that I know Colin from Spike Pit's been talking about and everything. So if you want to find out more about the Gardens of Yen, go over there and watch that video from uh, Red Dice Diaries. That's at reddicediaries.com. And then finally, as far as reviews go, Jay Devine over at the Filter of Love blog. Filter, that's P-H-I-L-T-E-R, filteroflove.blogspot.com. They did a review of A Night at the Golden Duck, and I was just kind of talking about zines. This is one from Patrick Stewart and Scrap Princess, and it's uh, it's like a um, pocket mod zine, but it's kind of zine size, so it still unfolds like a pocket mod. When you unfold it, it's got the map and stuff, and it's really cool. Limited edition. You can't get a PDF of it, so it's got a link here where you can buy it, but very interesting thing. I'd love to see more of these kind of zine size uh, pocket mod um, things from, from them. And when they team up, kind of like with uh, Veins of the Earth, you know, good things happen. So if you want to read a review of A Night at the Golden Duck, you go over to filteroflove.blogspot.com and check that out. All right, let's roll on some random tables. I'm starting over at Unlawful Games. Unlawfulgames.blogspot.com. This is uh, the Lawful Neutral. They put up, I love when somebody does something with books, you know, because I, I always get stumped trying to think of some random book name. And it's uh, D100 Tantalizing Tomes, Bewitching Books, and Glorious Grimoires. So first you roll for the author's genre, and that's going to be Goody Moon Cup. And this is uh, Goody Moon Cup, Self-Help Guides of a Witchy Nature. Let's see which one I get. Applied Abraxian Numerology for Dummies. Huh. 
Goody Moon Cups, apply to Braxian numerology for dummies. Let's do one more on here. Author genre. Now I'm getting Professor Grozug G. Goblin. Professor Grozug Goblin does textbooks for the aspiring minion. Let's see which one I find. Which one's on the library shelf? Uh, Shifting Blame, The Path to Promotion. <laughs> That's pretty good. Professor Grozug Goblin's textbooks for the aspiring minion. Don't miss... Professor Goblin's uh, Shifting Blame, The Path to Promotion, comes in handy. So good stuff over at unlawfulgames.blogspot.com. Very creative and really helpful for someone like me who can never think of book names. Then uh, the master, Chris Tam, over at Elf Maids and Octopi. Put up several this week, but I picked out Killer Babies. And uh, <laughs> uh, it's got an image. I forget which horror movie it's from. I think it's from It Lives is the horror movie that this uh, kind of killer baby is, is from. And so it's got stats for mutant babies and giant babies. And then you, uh, so it's got those statted out, and then you roll for the baby mutations. So for just a, your standard run-of-the-mill mutant baby, Let's see what kind of mutation it's got. It's a common mutation, you know. Uh, hell babies can cast charm person once a day and their eyes glow while casting. <laughs> and then a giant baby. Common giant baby mutation. And they're one-eyed like a cyclops. So it's got all kinds of stuff like this and it's actually statted out too. Oh wait, there's an additional bonus. If you fail a save, you get one of these terrible baby illnesses. So these are D6 baby diseases. And I got the shit guts. Minus D3 strength for a week and diarrhea every hour. Oh lordy. So yeah, good stuff over there with the killer babies from Chris Tam. And then I'm going over to Evelyn M. Blogs as a... Uh, TJ from uh, Triple M Podcast always makes fun of me uh, for this, but it's the Chromatic Cauldron. Also, Le Chaudron Chromatique. Le Chaudron Chromatique.blogspot.com. I know my French is terrible, so. But this is a great post from Evelyn. Scrolls, uh, uh, scroll reading catastrophes. Um, reading scrolls doesn't usually require a test, but it, but if it did, uh, you and you happen to roll a fumble so these are things that you can have you know these would be good for curse scrolls and stuff like that but you know catastrophes that happen while you're while you're reading a magical scroll let's see what i get got a 20 the reader vanishes forever and their name becomes a new word that everyone knows the player decides the meaning so that is cool flavor Great flavor. You don't want to be the one that vanishes forever, but it's cool that uh, it introduces a new word into the the lexicon. Let's see. Do one more on here. Oh, hot rolls. My players would hate me. I got a 19. Uh, the reader vanishes and their life is transcribed into the scroll. The caster can be casted back to life as a spell of their own level. So that is cool too. So yeah, some very inventive, cool stuff here. Scroll reading catastrophes. Again, I think these would be perfect for a curse scroll, um, some of these. And some of them aren't as uh, cruel as that. It looks like, yeah, the higher you roll, the nastier the effect. So some of them aren't as brutal as, the, as those that I rolled. But great stuff from Evelyn M. Great stuff from everybody on the random table front this week. Some good miscellaneous posts that don't really fit under any specific category that I thought I'd talk about. Uh, back over to the uh, Halls of the Nephilim blog. 
Justin Ryan Isaac, uh, punverse.blogspot.com, that came up earlier. They put up a video uh, if Stranger Things was an 80s anime. And, you know, I, I put this up because, you know, obviously they play D&D in the game. And me and my wife are, are, have started season three. I think we're like, we're either three or four episodes in. And I think it's off to a great start. I'm actually thinking it, it, it feels better so far, at least uh, this far into the season than season two did. Um, there's a lot of stuff at the mall, which is just really nostalgic and everything. And uh, there is some D&D going on, although they're kind of growing out of it a little bit, at least as far as uh, the beginning of the season goes. I don't want to spoil anything, but this is someone that did some animation, you know, anime style animation of stuff from the first couple episodes, and it's kind of cool, and it was just a random thing I spotted I thought you might enjoy looking at. I know I thought it was pretty neat. It makes me, I would definitely watch a cartoon of Stranger Things, so that was cool. Then over at the Once and Future Gamer, they've got some more, uh, um, Monster Manual Haikus up, and, uh, sorry, I clicked away from it, kind of hard to look at it when, uh, when you click away, but, so it was, uh, batch eight of their Monster Manual Haikus, and, uh, let's see, let me find a, find a good one here, uh, the giant beetle, across the wasteland, pushing four great balls of dung, John, Paul, George, Ringo, <laughs> Uh, so anyway, some of these are, are pretty funny. If you want to go th through, uh, like I said, this is batch eight. So you can go back through and check out a bunch of their other monster manual haikus. Occasionally the, you know, they're all funny, but occasionally they'll have ones that are just, you know, really brilliant. So go check that out over at myosr.blogspot.com. That's the once in future gamer blog. And then finally on the miscellaneous front, Jeff Reince, um, uh, over at Jeff's Game Blog, jreents.blogspot.com. They put up a great post called Let, Let Me Tell You About My Favorite Band. And they kind of uh, use different D&D editions. They kind of have al uh, analogies, uh, you know, treating them as um, rock albums. So, for example, uh, first edition is uh, the Diabolical Advances album. You know, like D&D is a band. The Wisconsin band Dungeons and Dragons and the different editions of different albums they come out that that uh, they released and I couldn't help but think about Spinal Tap for some reason reading this I kept thinking about Smell the Glove or Shark Sandwich you know where they're like there's it's a two word review for Shark Sandwich Shit Sandwich <laughs> uh, that that just for some reason came into my mind while I was reading through this but um, anyway it was a, a clever way to kind of go through the the different editions of D&D &D and everything to, to frame it as uh, albums by a band. And uh, so I thought that was a good read. So go over to Jeff's game blog and check that out. Although we learned uh, several weeks ago that uh, free products are, are the biggest problem in RPGs today, killing the hobby. Still, I, for some, I'm self-destructive for some reason. I just share these free things, you know, despite despite the the detrimental effect that they have on the, the all the games we love but i don't know what's wrong with me but here's some free stuff <laughs> over at nine and thirty kingdoms number nine and number thirty nine and thirty kingdoms.blogspot.com talisman's got up another pamphlet dungeon the flame shout tower pamphlet dungeon P pdf uh keep them up talisman i love being able to get all these pamphlet dungeons from you uh, so y'all go over there and download this one 
Leave a comment. Tell them you're, uh, tell Talisman you're digging them. Then at Smoldering Wizard, smolderingwizard.com. I think it was just last week they had put up a, a player quick start for BX. And now they've got one up for OD&D. Just kind of a quick and easy thing you can print out and give to new players so they can uh, kind of have a handle on the rules on, you know, just have, have it all on a page or two. So I, I dug this, uh, OD&D, Player Quick Start. You can download that PDF at smolderingwizard.com. And then I brought up Elf Maids and Octopi earlier. Uh, Chris Tam put up a, a free PDF, the Witch Tombs PDF. You can uh, just follow a Google Drive, go over and check it out. Um, they've got all these, uh, a, a series, if you're, I, if I back Chris's um, Patreon. If you do, you, you, you get all these, but... He's put up a lot that are out there for free, but um, uh, they end up having a, what do you call it, a pocket mod zine that you can print and fold at the bottom, as well as like a, a larger map. So it's kind of a cool format that they do for uh, these dungeons, and it's the uh, Ancient Barrows of the Witch Cults, Witch Tombs PDF. So really awesome free stuff this week. Shame y'all are killing the hobby, but uh, anywho... So this was going to be the final topic of the day until I saw something else today that uh, kind of took the place, but I'm still putting this towards the end to discuss it. Um, Milan, a.k.a. Gabor Lux, over at beyondfommelhout.blogspot.com put up a post, The Sinister Secret of Thacko. And it's talking about, you know, Thacko. And, and actually, it's, it's really good. It's got some links to a, One link is like to John Peterson's playing at the World Blog, talking about how Thacko came to be, or how uh, Lawrence Schick almost got it to be uh, ascending armor class and original D and D and stuff, and um, and kind of how clumsy phrasing of what's really actually simple process has led to confusion over the years and and everything. And there, you know, all these you know memes. When I was there was a meme on this post, and then I put it up another meme. You just search Thacko memes, you can find some funny stuff. But I, I'm, I'm firmly on board with Thacko. I mean, you know, if I'm running Swords of Wizardry or whatever, even something where it's got ascending and descending AC right in front of me, it's descending every time. It's not even a contest. What's interesting, though, is I was trying to think of why that is. Um, you know, mechanically, the subtraction stuff is so automatic in my head. I mean, it's to say one's easier is being disingenuous, at least for me. It's, uh, you're talking about micro millisecond. It doesn't, uh, that the difficulty argument doesn't work for me. Although everybody's brain works differently. So I, I think, uh, I forget who I was listening to it may have been, uh, Shane Ward. I think it was, uh, the Gilligan's Isle of ADD, uh, said that they prefer Thacko because just subtraction just, uh, works easier for them, you know? So, you know, some people say the ascending is much simpler. Some, for some people it could be different. But what I'm, my point is, it's it's neither it's has nothing to do with the ease of use for me. So, so why is it that I love Thacko? That's what I'm trying to think of. Is it simply nostalgia? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that plays something to do with it, but it's maybe not necessarily nostalgia. It's maybe just what I'm used to, or what I like, or that I can have. It's easier for me to kind of have certain ACs memorized by the lower numbers than it is to think of what, you know, what a 15 is in other games. I don't know. 
So I thought this would be something if, if people want to call in. It's definitely something that gets argued about a lot, or I'll see just random tweets from people saying Thacko sucks and people chiming in and, you know, people just, uh, you know, not getting it or finding it complicated or, you know, looking at it as, as something that's great for to have been left behind. I was seeing some other tweets today, y'all. People dogging on AD&D and stuff. <sighs> Grateful. Grateful I had different experiences, you know what I mean? But, you know, teach your teach their own. Um, but, you know, you'll have to pry Thacko out of my, my cold, dead, grognard hands, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> but uh, what do you think? Do you hate Thacko? Are you glad they got rid of it? Um, you know, I don't even think the kid art, you know, some people say, you know, it's easier to teach kids, whatever. I don't even think that stands up because it doesn't matter when I'm running a game from, for my daughter, whether I'm using ascending or, or descending, because I'm not telling her what these creatures AC are, you know, so they're just telling me their role. They're, they don't know what the creatures AC is. So whether, whether she's telling me it's a, I rolled a 16 or, you know, for ascending or I rolled a 16 for, des, for descending, it's the same difference. You know, I'm not giving away any of that kind of information. So, um, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about Thacko? Love it? Hate it? Anyway, whatever you think about it, it's a cool article over at uh, at the uh, Beyond Fomalhaut blog. Go check it out. The Sinister Secret of Thacko. Alright, so for the final, final topic. I saw this come up a couple times today, and then I saw the, an article about it. And um, the first time I saw it come up, somebody was extremely negative about the topic. And then when I saw it again on Twitter, it was like a poll and it was 90% positive on this. And so I'm talking about a topic from msn.com on professional, so-called professional GMs. It's called the rise of the professional dungeon master. Basically people who charge to run games. It says, nerd culture, stranger things, and the gig economy have created a world where Dungeons & Dragons enthusiasts host games for $500. Now, it's like I mentioned earlier, I try to examine why I feel the way I do about things. And I guess I would first say my overall impression is that, you know, the, the, the hobby has been so monetized down to every every facet of it from your from your dice bag to your uh you know to your dice i mean every you know there are people squeezing every penny they can out of, out of the rpg hobby and i don't i don't have a problem with it so overall i got no problem if somebody wants to make money gming more power to them you know but i can't help but have a little kind of negative a little cringy kind of feel when I hear a professional dungeon master. I just can't help it. I'm trying to understand why, you know, part of it is I hate to see, I hate to see something, you know, something that I, you know, grow up with or, you know, still do that was always a, a friendly kind of, I don't know, don't call it amateur, but just uh, this kind of thing that was divorced from money, from, uh, from capital, uh, turn into 
something that's completely capitalized, I guess, right? But at the end of the day, I don't have a I don't have a serious problem with it, but there's just something down deep in my soul that kind of cringes a little bit. I also would never these five I would never pay someone that kind of money to you know just never happen. I mean that's why I end up running most games myself, you know I, I guess. Uh, but um, there are situations like uh, I've played in uh, Jason Hobbs from Random Screed's game, and and part of the you know Hobbs's Patreon is uh, you know you can get in these games being a supporter. But, you know, I don't look at that as, as uh, you know, it's not, you know, Hobbs is definitely a great GM. It's not that I'm not calling him a professional GM, so to speak. But I look at a Patreon really as, you know, it's, it's a, this has come up before with various conversations of Anchorites. The way I view my Patreon and other patrons I back is really like a tip jar, supporting all the stuff they do to allow them to be able to do it. So I, I, if I'm backing Hobbs' Patreon, I'm not thinking... You know, I'm paying to play in a game. I'm thinking this is going towards all the stuff Hobbs does. Hobbs does whether it's their their uh, podcast or going to conventions or, or what, running this game, whatever else. You know what I mean? This is very different stuff. This is talking about people that have set schedules where they run eight games a week. You know, eight games a week, charging you know fifteen dollars a person, or people that are you know going over to Google you know, and, and running corporate games and stuff like that. And I was thinking about it, you know, I talk about all the time, you try to find a game and, uh, it's, it's damn near impossible to get into a 5e game. I mean, they get filled up and you can just look at, I mean, it's so sad to see like on a roll 20, you'll see people end up looking for game or in other places where they'll say, you know, Instead of looking for a game, it's like, I've got seven people together. We just need a GM, you know, like some GMs is going to stumble by and just, you know, run your game for, you know, and, and, you, and there's people that have, you know, seven or eight people sitting there together and none of them are going to just man up and, or woman up or whatever and GM the game. It's like, I mean, that to me is sad, you know, but there's just so many more players and GMs. I don't, I don't get it. I mean, it's not. It can't take that much courage to be the GM, you know. Just get, so get if you got a, a group of people together, somebody rotate it or something, you know. It just I, I don't know when I see some people, you know, out there soliciting a GM, like some GM which wants to run a game for complete total strangers. Well, I wouldn't want to do that unless you paid me, right? So that's where this comes in because I think about it, and I'm like, you know, clearly somebody spotted that there's a market for it. And people are getting paid. You know, some of these articles make it sound like it's uh, a lot of people doing it, but there's very few people that are making any kind of living on it. And who knows, once the fad's over, what are you going to do? But more power to them. But you, know, you think about it, maybe maybe you feel like, maybe part of it's I feel a little twinge of jealousy. Like, I'd like to get paid for it. But then I think, eh, that's not it. Because would I really want to go and run these games or be running games for total strangers, you know, at Google. And, you know, if I'm going to, if I was to pay, and this came up talking to my, my group, if we, if I was to pay for a game or they were to pay for a game, there's a certain expectation once you're talking money, you know, gone would be the days of old froth, just completely off the cuff, random tables that, you know, I'm going to expect terrain. I'm going to expect handouts. I'm going to expect a real, you know, I'm going to expect, 
somebody to just overkill and just really take it to the, the limit if I'm paying that kind of money. Um, I just would never end up doing it, as I guess is what I'm saying. Now, if it's uh, throwing in a tip uh, at the game shop or, you know, if it's somebody's patron, I'm back in for more than one reason. That's one thing, but, you know, but then I would say, you know, I, I wouldn't want to frame it as uh, it's not actual work because it is work to GM and it, it does take scheduling, it takes effort, it takes dedication and all that. But I kind of just feel like I hate to see it just, I like that that's for the love of the game more so than making money. Is that wrong? I don't know. Um, but I can't really hate on someone for doing it because they saw an opportunity. It's a capitalist society. Um, people are willing to pay it. And, um, you know, as much as I think it would be kind of torturous to go run corporate games for total strangers and, and, and have these lofty expectations, you know, that money brings, you know, to be really be putting something pro together and all this and uh, maybe even just be running something that's not a style that I even enjoy as much, just, you know, feeling like I had to based on the money. You know, I think about my worst days at my job and it's like, would have, would, would, would GMing for total strangers be any worse than that? Well, maybe not. Who knows? Am I talking myself into trying to get paid for this? I don't know. I think that in some markets, large markets, um, Maybe there, maybe it's something people could think about, but again, I'm not sure how I feel about it. There's something about kind of a, I don't know, it's not as grandiose or serious as like a loss of innocence or anything like that, but it just kind of takes it out of the, just kind of taking it out of the basement, you know what I mean? And taking it into the, uh, you know, the Google corporate culture and making it a team building exercise so it's just different i guess is what i'm saying huh i wouldn't fault somebody for doing it but you know the day i pay a hundred dollars to play a game of D D, well that'll be the day that i die <laughs> i mean i just it'll just never happen um but i guess if you if you really if you if you're loaded and you don't want to go through the rigmarole of uh, trying to find a game and um, and it's like a party night to you with some friends. You know, I guess there are definitely worse things you can be blowing your money on too. Um, I guess the thing I come back to is that there there's a shortage of GMs, you know? Just a, one of those things, that's, it's kind of always been that way, I guess. Some people gravitate towards running the games and some people don't but there really need to be more gms out there uh people that step up especially when you've already got a group of folks together you know someone just needs to just step up and, and run the game um otherwise the more people see that you can make a dime on somebody for doing something that uh you know that you probably have a have a love for if, you, if you're bothering to to do it you know, you'll probably see more and more people charging for games and less and less, you know, pickup games and one shots and, and things like that. I mean, and you'll probably see this happen more and more. You know, the more articles on MSN.com you see of people making $500 for running a game of D&D, &D, 
There's some people who's uh, you got dollar signs in their eyes thinking of that. <laughs> What's really ironic is at that kind of rate, making a hundred dollars an hour or whatever it is, um, you know, some of these GMs are getting paid more <laughs> probably than some of the people writing the books uh, when you break it down. Anyway, what do you think about being a paid professional GM? There is no right or wrong answer. I think that when I saw that poll with like 90% people in support of it, I think that some people are probably afraid to say what they really think about this because they don't want to seem, um, you know, they don't want to seem like a hater. But um, I, in the end, I'm fine with it, but it does... There are certain things about it that give me pause. I don't know how well I explain them, but that's my opinion. I'd love to hear yours. Just like any of the topics we talked about today, you can call in on the Anchor app or send me an email, frothsoftfrothsof at gmail.com. And let's do the outro. Okay, so that's the show for today. Like I told you all at the beginning, lots of good stuff. I know the I know the content was good today. Um, really thankful for all the people blogging out there, making all this great stuff week after week. Y'all rock. Thanks for giving me something to talk about. Really appreciate people listening. I uh, wanted to mention a couple ways if you want to support what I'm doing over here, uh, what you can do. Obviously, there is the Patreon. I really appreciate folks backing me. It's patreon.com forward slash thought eater, and it's just one tier. It's a dollar a month. So if you want to chip in a dollar a month to support what I'm doing with the blog, podcast, and hopefully, cross my fingers very soon, Cyanic Platypus number two, then you can go over there and sign up. And like I say, back me for a dollar. I appreciate people that are doing that. Other ways that have nothing to do with money that you can support froth. You can add my blog to your blog roll, uh, frothsoft, frothsofdnd.blogspot.com. Add the Thought Eater blog to your blog roll. That helps with visibility. You can tell a friend about my podcast or blog. Anytime I have a friend tell me about something, I'm much more likely to check it out. So that would be awesome. And then if you're listening to this on any platform that offers you the ability to, uh, to rate the podcast, whether you enjoy it or not, you can put a rating on there. I'd appreciate it. Something else I was going to mention is uh, while I'm waiting to see when or if Anchor sends me another ad to plug on here and whether I want to put it on there, um, if you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, you can talk to me. Whether you've got uh, a Patreon, Kickstarter, Zine, anything RPG-related, dice bags, whatever it is, if that's something that might interest you to talk about, you can, again, message me here on Anchor, email me, frothsoft at gmail.com. There's also a contact form on the blog. I think that's what I've got for you. Next you'll hear from me is 5-Minute Friday. I do have an idea brewing for a Willie the Wizard, so I might get with Elizabeth and uh, and do something. You want to say hello, Elizabeth, to the listeners? Say hello. Hey. Say how you're doing. Say something. How you doing? <laughs> Tell them what you did today. Um, I went to camp. What was your favorite thing you did at camp? Swim. Swimming? Yeah. yeah. All right, Logan. They don't have to go home, but they can't stay here. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade. Zeroing in on your mental trade. Gonna help you escape from the grind. 
Thought Eater gonna blow your mind.